Hey, we are uh, deep into figuring out what it means to follow God into the unknown. This is a third sermon in this series, and we are tracking along the life of Moses and uh, his story. And we've uh, we, we spent we, this, the story is in the book of Exodus, if you are unfamiliar with it. Um, and we've gone through chapter one and about half of chapter two. Today, we're gonna. We're going to finish chapter 2, we're going to dig into chapter 3, and then just get into the, the first little bit of chapter 4 as we go through this story of Moses. Um, but what does it mean to follow God into the unknown? We're looking at Moses, who is going to be uh, a leader in this effort, right? We, most of us know the story of Moses. He was the person God used to, uh, to lead his people, the children of Israel, the Hebrew children, about 2 million of them out of captivity in Egypt. They were, uh, they were in slavery. They were being, um, they were being uh, abused, really. It says that, that Pharaoh made their life miserable. They had a miserable existence. And uh, we're going to find here this part of the story, right? Moses uh, was born. Uh, he, he was a Hebrew. He was a child. He was, his mom stepped out in faith and put him into the river. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him basically adopted him, and he was raised in Pharaoh's household until he was about 40 years old, and he made a terrible mistake, took things into his own hands. Some of y'all have done that at your house. You watch do-it-yourself videos. You watch HGTV. It got you inspired, and then it ended up costing you three times as much when you had to call the plumber and electrician or whoever you needed to fix it. This is exactly what Moses did. He saw his people being abused by an Egyptian, and he murdered the Egyptian, stepped out, took, his, took things into his own hands, uh, and uh, they put it on Facebook of sorts. It started to spread around. Everybody knew what he'd done, and he had to flee. He had to escape Egypt because it said Pharaoh even found out this is his adopted grandfather, and he knew that he had no hope to survive there in Egypt. There was a bounty on his head. So he ran. He ran to Midian, we found out last week, um, which was a good distance away, about 200 miles, and he sat down by a well, and that's where we left Moses last week, trying to figure out what's next, what's life. He's, he's made a mess of sorts. He felt called to try to help his people, and now he feels like he's wasted his call. This, the title of this morning's sermon is called Humbled, because I want you to think about uh, Moses. And let's read just a few verses here. I'm gonna, we're we're going to kind of jump around. These are a lot of verses. We're not going to read every one. I want you to read every one. You should read and be familiar. Um, but I'm just going to pull out some key points, and then I'll probably paraphrase in between just so we can keep the story going. Um, but right after he's sitting at the well, uh, some, some women come up. It says the daughter of Ruel, uh, daughters of Ruel, come up to this well that Moses is at. Uh, and they, uh, they, they, they get attacked by some other shepherds, and it, it turns out that they go back to their dad, and they come back sooner than they normally would have, and this was the response when their dad said, why are y'all back so early? It says, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered and said, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So here we have Moses in the situation, sitting by the well. Some ladies come up. He rescues them. I want you to think of, of, of what has changed in the life of Moses. I want you to understand that he was essentially a prince, okay, in Egypt. Do you think he had ever done anything for himself? 
He had probably never even prepared a meal. He had probably uh, never had to figure out where he was going to sleep at night, right? He had never had to pay a bill. Not only that, I was thinking, man, he attacked these shepherds, and, and so I started studying a little bit. If you grow up in the, you are tr a trained military man. He was like a marine. I don't often think of Moses like that, but if he was raised in that, he would have been trained in, as a military person. He would have been that's somebody you don't want to mess with. I mean, the guy just manhandled a bunch of shepherds by himself. He's like Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris. I don't know, but he's taking them out. And here he is, Moses, in Midian, in the wilderness, in the desert, not knowing what's next. A man who's lived a life of luxury. And we find him beginning to live the life of a shepherd. A shepherd was actually something he had probably been taught. And if you go back to Genesis, you will find that the, the, the descendants, the children of Israel, looked down upon shepherds. They detested them. This was like the last job that he would ever want to have. He found himself one evening being hungry and nobody dropping a plate in front of him. He found himself on this evening with not only... Uh, not a palace to lay his head down and feel safe and servants to pick out his clothes. But nowhere to lay his head. You know, God will put us in situations sometimes to, to humble us. And we will feel like in those moments we may be humiliated. I think probably for Moses this would have been humiliating. He, he was used to walking around Egypt and people knowing who he was. Right? When, you're, when you're a prince, when you walk around, people know who you are. You are a big name. And all of a sudden, he's a million, and he's walking around, he's just another guy. He's just another person. And he's being humbled. In those times, we find that God, many times, when you're getting ready to follow God into the unknown, you will be humbled. This is an important part of the story. Because Moses needs to learn something. If he wants to be used by God, he's got to learn some things here. And if you, if you want to be used by God, you've got to know your role. And that's what God is getting ready to teach Moses. I've been humbled lots of times. Oh, my gosh, so many times. Uh, you know, I, in my job, I get to speak all over the place. I don't know how many presentations and people I speak to uh, in a year. It's, a, it's thousands that I speak to. It's well over 100 events that I speak at. Uh, each year from local small chamber of commerce or rotary clubs to I've spoke at Harvard. I mean crazy stuff I've gotten to do and uh, I was at this this uh, and, and there there are times you know you go in you give a presentation you've thought about it preparation is 80% of success showing up is 80% of success prepare 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 you're thinking about who's going to be there what are they thinking about what do they need to hear what are we trying to accomplish and you think through all those things and there are times that I've gone in and I spoke and, man, people are just like, yes. They, you come out, and they're so excited, and they're saying, that is exactly what we needed. I can't wait to be a part of this. And then there was one time I was in Hazard, and there was uh, the Area Development District over there. And uh, I went in, and I spoke there, and I had this presentation. I mean, I had, it all, I had a PowerPoint, had it all figured out, and the plans. And, uh, and, and so I got up, and I spoke for 20 minutes or so. 
uh, small room, but it was filled of like local officials, county judges, mayors, and there was this old man in the back, and, he, and I talked about the future of Appalachia, right? The vision that 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 we had and uh, our partners have, and uh, uh, and creating a future in Appalachia. And he raised his hand, just as calm as he could be, and I, I, I took the question. wasn't a question. <laughs> he said, "Sounds like you're creating more confusion than a future." And I thought, man, I prepared so hard. And I thought I had it. I thought I said what I need to do. And totally, you leave those meetings. There was lots of meetings I left thinking, man, I dropped the ball on this one. I totally missed the point. I got too far in the weeds. And there's a good balance, right? You don't want everyone to be a home run, or God lets you start thinking crazy things. But that was a, one meeting for me that said, all right, God, you got this, not me. I've, I've, I've stepped into the front. I got stepped back um, and just reminded me some things that Moses gets taught here when he is humbled in this situation. At the end of chapter 2, uh, we find, after we find that Moses has been living, he goes, uh, he, uh, the, uh, the, these girls, their dad sends them back to the well and says, well, where is this guy that saved you? Go bring him here. They go get Moses. They bring him home. All of a sudden, guess what God's doing? He's got a place to sleep. You know what they do? What they do? It says they prepare a meal for him. He has food to eat. And then uh, the, it says Ruel in chapter 3, you call him Jethro. Jethro is easier to say. I'm going to say Jethro. Um, gives Moses one of his daughters. Moses ends up marrying one of his daughters. Her name is Zipporah. It's a beautiful name again. Anybody expecting? That one's wide open. They have a child. And if you go to the end of chapter 2, in verse 23, you find uh, that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. Long period, we're talking, uh, yeah, he's probably there like six months going through this. That's difficult. How did he get through No, 40 years. That's hard for a 37-year-old to fathom. Right, that's me. I'm 37. It's hard for me. He, he spent more time being humbled in the desert as a shepherd, being a nobody, than I've lived. Okay? This was not just, uh, you know, for a few minutes, we're going to put you in time out. This was long enough for it to become the expectation that this is all it's going to be for him to accept it. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And in verse 25, which I've got on the screen, he says, So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Does that not make you feel good that God hears your cries, that he looks upon you? That he is concerned about you. That he cares about you. That he gets involved in your daily life and your circumstances and the people that are around you. And we find the story continues in chapter 3. Chapter 3, it says, Now Moses was tending to a flock of his father, and he traveled out. Um, here's called the, uh, it becomes the Mount, Mount Sinai, the place that is 
very famous. And while he's there, he's tending his sheep, and he's got them with him, and all of a sudden he notices something out of the corner of his eye, which we would probably all notice, was this bush that was on fire. Right? There's, there's no exact timeline here. I couldn't figure out, was this after all the 40 years that was in Midian? I know it was a long time because it just said a long time. This was years and years and years. And he's out tending his sheep, doing what he does, thinking what he's, going to, he's doing what he's going to do the rest of his life. And he notices this bush that's on fire. It's like, that's weird. The bush is on fire. A few minutes later, he looks back, and the bush is still on fire. A few minutes later, he looks back, and the bush is still on fire. Yet it's not being consumed. It's not going away. Would that get your attention? Something's burning but is never being consumed? What are the things that God uses, is using, has used in your life that make you look twice and say, did that really just happen? Was God that present in my life? Is he trying to get your attention? Here he's getting Moses' attention. Moses is like, what is going on? And so Moses, at that point, he's like, I gotta go over and check this out. Verse 4, chapter 3, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Now, this would get you, all right? I mean, I mean, you're already like the, the bush is not being consumed. It's on fire, and you're going over to check it out. And all of a sudden, from within the bush, you hear your name. Moses, Moses! Exclamation points. It wasn't Moses, Moses. Moses, Moses! Here I am. He didn't know who's hollering. He didn't know who is there. Verse 4. Verse 5. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Here's the first thing God's teaching Moses is, is Moses, I'm holy, not you. He is teaching Moses, I'm holy, not you. The place you have come to is holy ground. Don't bring, the, the place you were standing where you were, that wasn't holy because, Moses, you're not holy. He said, but the place you're standing is holy ground. You need to take your sandals off and step up to me. I want to talk to you a minute. Let us be reminded in this moment, God is holy, not us. Never think we've done enough, been good enough, given enough, sacrificed enough, served enough can't do it. We are not holy. God is holy. Moses needed to remember this. Then he teaches him one other thing. He says, then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was realizing what was happening. And here, God speaks to him on a very relational Level. And Moses was finding out that, that God, his creator, was deeply entwined in his past. I, I think if you're going to follow God to the unknown, you have to believe this about your life and your situation. You all, how many people have done ancestry DNA or one of the DNA things? Anybody in here done it? We've got several around that have done it. How many people love to look at your ancestry? Just know who your dad's dad was, your mom's 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 mom was. Love ancestry stuff because we like to know where we came from. 
And, uh, you know, Beth's pretty exciting. We found out, like, her seventh great-great-great-great-aunt was Martha Washington. Basically, George Washington's her uncle by marriage. So we, we, and somebody donated at Faith Life Market. Somebody donated this portrait of George Washington. I said, you, we need to put your uncle on the wall in here. I mean, it's, it's the only right thing to do. I look back at my story. My great-grandfather... And great-grandmother, uh, they were immigrants to this country. They came from Croatia, Yugoslavia. My great-grandfather, he traveled here. Uh, I've, I found the register of, uh, of when he came into the country. Uh, I've stood there on, the, I just forgot the name of the island. What's the name of the island where they came in up in New York? Ellis Island. I've stood there in that building where he walked through. I've got the register of, of his name. I've got the place where he, uh, I've got a copy of the form where he uh, applied for citizenship. He changed his name I, to not an American name, but to a different Croatian name. I don't know why. I don't know any of that story. I've been to Pennsylvania where they lived when I was younger. I went up there. Uh, he was a coal miner. I mean, and I just think through all those stories, and, and you have to believe that even in this moment in time, that guy was my great-grandfather. I would not be here had he not at some point in Croatia said, i got to get to America. Right? I mean, you've you got you to gotta believe that God has been a part of your past to get you to today. And this is what God was telling Moses. He said, I'm in a relationship with you. I knew you before you were born. Listen, I've been around the block. I've been around. I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the one your family has served. It is me talking to you right now. You think that didn't blow Moses' mind? It had to. It said he hit his face. That this was reaching him in such a deep way that he didn't know how to respond or what to do. This is what God begins to speak to him. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. He said, so I've come down to rescue them. He's our rescuer. You all like that song we do? He is our rescuer. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Had to be a site to live there. Verse 9, God says, the Lord says, and Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. So now go. In verse 10, he's speaking to Moses. God says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is my favorite part of this whole story. This is what I want you to hear. This is what I'm probably going to close with today. I don't know what time it is. We might get finished early. But Moses said to God, who am I? Moses said, who am I? Because you've got to remember what he's thinking. I used to have all kinds of power. I used to be a prince. Now I'm just a shepherd. He said, when he named his child, he said, because I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. 
He had accepted where he was in life. He realized he had no power, no authority anymore, no influence. I'm just a shepherd. He said, who am I? You, you need to go find another prince, another political power, somebody else down in Egypt, somebody that's more equipped, better than me. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what I love is God's response to this. Because I guess what? He doesn't answer it. I mean, he doesn't go into detail to tell Moses who he is. There's some questions we ask God, right? That he never really answers. Who am I? Why this? Why this situation in life? Should I do this? Should I have done that? He, he doesn't answer it. But here, listen. I want you to just see God's response. When you're following God into the unknown, when you're stepping out and doing what he's calling you to do, Moses says, who am I? Which is the wrong question. I mean, Moses is already messing up. It doesn't matter who Moses is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who I am. Moses is thinking he's got to bring the power, that he's got to bring the influence, that he's got to bring the ability. And God just simply puts him in his place and says, I will be with you. The God of your father, the God of Abraham, I, I will be with you. What are you talking about? Who you are? You don't matter. You don't have to bring the power. You don't have to bring the ability. You don't have to bring the influence. I just need you to be faithful. I will be with you. Do, do I need to say anything else to you this morning? That when you ask God, who am I? And he just responds, I'm with you. If you're a child of God, I'm with you. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. If I'm calling you right now, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. And he's getting ready to tell Moses who he is. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That happens. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, here's Moses playing every kind of scenario out, right? Every kind of, but what this, if that, and this. He's thinking of all the ways this can fail and all the ways it can fall apart. Our gut instinct. But what about this? But what if, what if, what if, what if? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I don't think we can grasp what that meant at that moment. This word that was in Hebrew translated Yahweh, I am who I am. It spoke to his eternal power. He, he didn't say, I was this and now I'm this. He didn't say, well, I'm this right now and I'm going to be this in a little bit. He just said, I am. You don't have to worry about God changing. You don't have to worry about uh, 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 whether he's powerful now as he used to be. I am. I am who I am. He talked about his eternal power. It spoke to his unchangeable character. His eternal power, his unchangeable character. You see, you and me, we, we'll go through ups and downs and we'll have influence and then we won't. 
one day we'll have impeccable character and the next day we're going to lose our temper on the, at the McDonald's drive through line. We are changeable. Our character is changeable. God was speaking here. I am who I am. I am unchangeable character. I have eternal power. Before you were, I was. And I will always be. I just am. Moses still didn't believe. Playing it again. What if? What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And so, I mean, Moses has already seen this miracle of the bush that's burning, but it's not consuming. And here God does one, he actually does several more things. I'm going to finish with this one thing at the beginning of chapter 4. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Does, does God ask questions he didn't know the answer to? I don't think so. He knew what it was. This is for Moses. This is not a learning experience for God right here. This is a learning experience for Moses. He is not trying to figure out, what are you holding, Moses? He wanted Moses to know, I'm holding a staff. This thing is it's not human. It is, uh, you know, it, is, it is just a piece of wood or whatever it would have been at the time. A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and immediately it became a snake. <laughs> Imagine Moses. Just, uh, yeah, it's a staff. God told me to throw it on the ground. You, I mean, this is, I, I've, I've seen a snake once scream like a little girl. I've seen a lot of snakes, but this one was really close to me, and it was a copperhead. And if you've been in the church a while, I told that whole story one Sunday morning. But I was in our, uh, we, the place we used to live for like a year and a half before we moved back to where we live now that we lived at before we lived at that place. That's our life in a nutshell. Uh, and this, I was going through this, this box of things. I saw this, something out of the corner of my eye. I was laying on a bench. The box was on the bench out of the corner of my eye. Uh, I thought, a, a toy snake. And I went, we don't have a toy snake. <laughs> and so I looked back, and it was a copperhead raised up, like ready to strike me. Beth heard me screaming like a little girl. Long story short, I, I got a hoe. First time I ever killed a snake with a hoe. Scared, I mean, I, I hit it like a bunch of times. It was a mess. Missed it the first time. Uh, it was on this wooden bench. I hit it once, and, uh, and I thought, I literally, I, I thought I'd cut its head off. I hit it as hard as I could. I'm out screaming, and, uh, and something flew and hit me in the side of the face, and I was a thousand percent sure it was the head of the snake. I mean, I was screaming. It was the worst. I wish Beth would have videoed it. I mean, she just, she's the only one that gets to have that memory implanted in her brain forever. Uh, but it turned out to be a chunk of the wood off the bench uh, that I broke loose. But Moses throws the thing down, thinking, what am I doing? Why does he want me to throw my staff down? I'd probably be thinking, okay, you don't want me leaning on the staff. You want me talking to you. I mean, what are you thinking at that point? Why is he telling me to throw my staff down? But God wants to show you who he is in your life. And he'll do big things, but you'll miss them if you're not focused in the right direction. And if you don't see everything as providential that's happened in your life, that has purpose, that is full of his control, and he's in the middle of all of it, you'll miss it. But he throws it down, it becomes a snake, and I'd I do what he did. He jumped, he was scared, he ran from it. As we get ready to close this morning, I want, you to take, I want to take you just for a minute. To John. John chapter 8. Going forward here a lot. 
to the New Testament, about 1,500 years. Jesus speaking here, making claims about himself. Verse 54, Jesus responded to the question. It says, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Verse 54, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, my father, whom you, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you did not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that God worked in Abraham three or 4,000 years ago. That he was working in this story of Moses in 1400-ish B.C., that is now working in Jesus' life. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy that someone would come to bring hope to all mankind. And he's speaking to these Pharisees, these, these, uh, the legalistic, the, re the religious zealots of the time. And, uh, and he said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Verse 58, listen to what he says. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born. Two little words he says here. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. What do you think they did? They knew the story of Moses in the burning bush. They knew that Moses said that God said his name was I am who I am. And here stands another man 1,400 years later looking at them saying, before he was, I am. A Greek translation of the same word, Yahweh. The Father you think you're defending, the God you serve. I'm him in the flesh. The one you've been waiting for. I am. You got to do something with that this morning. You got to do something with that claim that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Son of Man. You got to do something with it. See what these people did? They picked up stones to stone him. Yet there were some who believed. This morning, God, as you think about the story of Moses and how God spoke to him and he had humbled him, he had put him in this place for 40 years, he was not punishing him, he was preparing him. Because God needed Moses to understand something, that when he went down to Egypt, it was not about Moses. That when he was going to go and face the new Pharaoh, the new king, it was not about Moses. Moses, you, you don't do God's work built upon what you have established in this world. He's going, and he's going to be successful for one reason. Because God was with him. Because God was with him. If you want to go into the unknown this morning with God, if you want to step out in faith and trust him, 
whether you're, if you're not a Christian, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to become like a little child and realize you can't do it on your own, that you, uh, you have no hope absent Jesus Christ. You got to believe in your heart that he was the, the son of God, that he was crucified, that he was resurrected. You got to believe that in your heart. You got to profess it with your mouth. If you're a Christian this morning, he's calling you to serve. Some of us he'll call to be leaders. Some of us he will call to be, to be supporters and serve and be a part of his work in one way or another. We, we believe at this church that when people find Jesus, their heart changes. They begin to make a difference and they find purpose in their life. That's what happens when you get connected with God. He says we become salt and light. What does salt and light do? You think light makes a difference? No. Okay, let's turn them all out and have church. Christians are called to be difference makers. But we can't do it with confidence in ourselves. He needed Moses to have confidence in him, in God. This morning as we close and we get ready for our final song, I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where you are in your walk. Um, but I hope we can take these moments in the life of Moses in the way that God showed his eternal power, his unchanging character. And the New Testament says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchangeable. He has eternal power. Let that, just let that settle with you a minute. That when you ask God, who am I, and you feel unworthy, and you feel because you've made mistakes in your life and you begin to make excuses. That's a deep part of this message, right? We could have called this sermon No Excuses. Maybe that's next week because Moses keeps making them. But when God has called us to do something, if, we, if he has really called us, there are no excuses about why we can't do it or shouldn't do it or wouldn't do it. But what if that? What if this? But not me. I can't talk. I can't do this or that. It's not about who you are. It's about who is with you. God, we come to you this morning thankful for Jesus Christ, thankful that he could say the words before Abraham was, I am, which means he is today in this room still all-powerful and unchanging. God, we call him to be present in our life and in our work. God, that we can step out in faith and trust and not ask questions about who we are or think we're bringing anything to the table, but, Lord, to trust in your power, to know that you promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, to go with us to the ends of the earth once we put our faith and trust in you. God, we know our only hope for eternity is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. God, reminded this week that life is fragile. With such an untimely death, God, we know we, you're good and we know you love us. Let us reflect on this morning on what matters at the end of the day. At the end of our life, what matters most and let us focus on it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
even if you've not come to Jesus this morning. thank you for being here. We thank you for joining us online. If God has dealt with your heart today, if uh, uh, you've turned things over to him, if you see him working in ways, if he's used this message or this morning, this worship in some way in your life, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, we'll give a shout out this morning to Mammy. There's a uh, since we've been streaming on live, people have started watching from beyond just five. Well, I think she's from down in Johnson County, I think where she lives in Paintsville. Um, and so we want to just give a shout out to her. Thank you for joining. She's 93, 93? How old is she? 92 years old and on YouTube. Hey, big hand for that. That's pretty good. Uh, but she's, uh, she's reached out and joins us every week. You all have never met her, more than likely. Um, but she is part of our church family and what God is doing here. So uh, let's just remember all those people. Send us a message on Facebook. Leave a comment on YouTube. Send us an email on our website. There's all kinds of ways you can get a hold of us. Um, and we're going to keep praying for you. We're going to walk through these difficult times with you. We're going to get through it together. Um, and uh, I'm thankful that God unites his people. 
So everybody have a great week, uh, and uh, we will see you next Sunday morning.